The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and I'm joined by... Dan, for probably the last Bunker Edition episode. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's bittersweet, because I think in some regards, I'm getting irritable that you're here a little bit. Although it doesn't show in any sustained way, and I'm smart enough, or at least I shouldn't say smart enough. It's not necessarily an intelligence thing. I think I'm good at least with you at telling when I'm just being the dick, <laughs> at least if I'm a dick for more than a minute. Like I cap myself pretty quickly. Am I wrong? Yeah. And uh, like it's it, not a thing where I just, I'm storming around for an hour straight. No. And there is a thing where uh, I can't do really any work. So I sure that gets a little irritating sometimes. Yeah. But I've been thinking about it. If this was a, if you were a stowaway and I caught you, you you've been earning your keep. I've been trying to as much as possible. There's not too much I can do, but. No, there, there's a decent amount you've done. And like, we've docked your pay because I'm paying for food. So there's that as well. Yeah. And I actually thought about if we added it up, it's like, it's probably not that much of a difference. It's probably working out pretty well between both of us sharing the load. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a little, I, I'm looking forward a little bit to going back to work and also. A little sad to be leaving. But. Yeah, I know, but I am sad. That's the other thing, too. And it's like, it's funny how you came here from Boston, because you because most of our family and friends are in the Midwest, especially central Illinois and, you know, the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. Yeah. But um, it's funny how I thought about, yeah, but I mean, people are still quarantining. So, like, you had to come here because that's where your roots were. But, like, you still definitely were a major benefit to my sanity. Like, if you weren't here, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and I would have been going insane, too, by now, probably. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> it would have been. Especially because, well, you would agree, in Peoria, it's pretty fine here. We haven't been hit very hard, and they're handling it well. Yeah, I mean. Not yet. I think eventually it's going to, it's always going to eventually hit everywhere harder, but. Yeah, that's true. I mean, where I am, uh, it's not super, super terrible, but it's Massachusetts, so it's right next to a lot of where the bad shit's going on. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, in Peoria, where I live, too, it's like I'm next to everything. So, like, we, we have several parks and things we can access while also being in a city, whereas that would have probably been, yeah, I don't know how, I know some cities, it's way harder. You know? Yeah, that's true. But, you know, you guys are in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, and we hope you've enjoyed the nonstop content coming out of this <laughs> channel. Part of it is probably because Dan's here to help a little more. But honestly, I don't know. A lot of it is, you know, I, I, I it's funny how some people were like, why, are th why is there only like one video and podcast a week this December? And it's like, well, there's just less going on and I'm taking time off. 
And it's like, why is there so much right now? I mean, I think some of it is realizing this channel has a lot of momentum and making sure I like stoke the flames of the engine of our revolution. Well, yeah, but, because but I mean, a lot of it is there's just also a lot of information I'm happening to get right now. Yeah, I'm wondering why it's picking up so fast right now. I mean, it, it it's probably a mix of uh, coincidence and whatnot. But <laughs> your channel has grown by subscriber count, like what fifty percent in the past two months. Yeah, yeah, that's not, about right. Not fifty, speaking, thirty. It depends which yeah. week and how you cherry pick it, but. Actually, yeah. With and then with all of these leaks, I actually have an opening statement for this episode because I was thinking about it. So, if you'll give me the floor, good sir, I would like to begin. So, I actually wrote this down ahead of time because it's funny how I had the. Well, I mean, God, what else? I've had several leaks and analysis of rumors going on in the past month, but then there was the initial Ampere video, and then my. Um, Zen and the Art of Microarchitecture Maintenance video, where that yeah. was basically just videos that I thought would be eight minutes long, but contained decent leaks. And so I made like a mega Zen whispers video of just random stuff. And so it went Ampere that, and then more Ampere. And I, I thought about that, how if someone right now is going to a website and my my Ampere information is there, which it's on more than any any video I've ever done, it's on more websites. Like it's been yeah. covered. Some of my stuff's been covered before, but not not like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think people might subscribe and then come to my channel and then see like the Zen Four and Zen Three Plus and Matisse Two information. And it's coincidence. I have like five weeks in the same two weeks. Is it? Yeah, it probably is around and, that time and scale. I think, and you've probably. I mean, Dan lives with me. Can you speak? Like, have I? I've been like killing myself to not hold information for more than two weeks. Yeah, that's true. You're trying to get stuff out in a timely manner for whenever you receive information. And yeah, you've been working very hard for the past few weeks. <laughs> yeah, the amount of gaming I've done in the past two weeks has been substantially lower than normal. I mean, it's funny. I had this big APU video. It's basically done. And I was going to start it. And then I got some information about the Zen stuff, started working on that. And then I got the Ampere bombshells. And I'm like, Ampere comes first. Yeah. Then comes Zen 4, which I killed myself to get that out in a day when I started working on it, if you'll remember. Yeah. Like, I think I, like, worked till, like, 10, 11 p.m. after working an eight-hour day. Uh, yeah, I think it was around 10, something like that. <laughs> yeah, we were really late for making dinner that day here. And then the Ampere stuff came in. It was just like, well, this is getting out on Monday. <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's Monday at midnight. It's getting out when it gets, it's getting out then. Because <laughs> GTC is Thursday. Yeah, and you need to get that out eventually, well, but, before GTC. But anyways, I've done enough clarifications. Um, so I just want to say that, well, I guess two things. Um, first of all, I just mentioned GTC, so I might as well say it now. Um, we're not covering GTC in this. Obviously, this is coming out Wednesday the 13th, so anyone who listens on the first day will know that. But just know that it's like we there's too much information now. There's way too much. And I know more leaks are probably about to hit me in a few days if I had to guess. So it's like, I, I'm not waiting for anything. Our episodes come out Wednesday. We recorded this as late as we could, and we will cover GTC probably with just a giant Q&A and loose ends right before you go back to Boston, right? Yeah. So, so that's number one if you're listening to this. We intentionally just acknowledge we're not covering GTC, and we will afterwards. Instead, And I probably won't do any specific video on GTC unless something insane happens that I can comment on quickly. But 
Anyways, the opening statement that I've derailed about a dozen times now <laughs> is just a reminder that roadmaps, products, and companies' plans change. And I'm not saying this with regard to any particular rumor I've covered recently in the past two months or really past six months. I mean, I think my Whispers of Golden Cove was actually comparable to how big my Ampere leak was, even if it didn't pick up as much traction. Um, and I just want to be clear that, like, like add it up. It's a coincidence it's all coming at the same time, but what we have Zen 2, Matisse 2, Zen 3, Zen 3 Plus, Zen 4, Intel Tile GPUs, Cezanne, Van Gogh, Tiger Lake, Alder Lake, RDNA 2, PS5, Xbox, Rocket Lake, and I'm sure there's some I don't remember that I've covered <laughs> in the past few months. Like I did a giant Alder Lake video, all this stuff. You added up, like, how much do we like a CDNA 2, like all yeah. this stuff I've been covering? There's like a dozen leaks I've done in the past three months. Just keep in mind, if I get 90% of them right, a few of these things aren't going to happen. And it's like, it, if all of these things I've covered happen exactly how I how I speculate and, and based on information I received, I said they would. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm hoping that happens. Just keep in mind, one of these might not happen. Maybe Zen 3 Plus will change. Maybe CDNA 2 will have an adjustment. Who knows what will happen with Van Gogh. There's still a very small amount of information leaking about Van Gogh for how long I've known of its code name. Making yeah, me wonder if true. it's actually something coming after Cezanne or I don't know. Yeah. They're contemporaries. So I always imagine it's just two different designs coming out around the same time. But yeah, who knows? I, yeah. I mean, you never know. Van Gogh could be a design that's earlier in the process or something than is coming out later than Cezanne, but... Yeah, but the final part of this opening statement is just keep in mind, I try to do my best to tell you information I'm told as much as I can because I don't want to reveal who my, any way for people to track who my sources were, or not enough at least. And, um, and then also stuff that's my own speculation or based on other public information. I mean, like, for instance, I'm pretty sure my five nanometer, like, ramp-up analysis video was... One of my best videos, one I'm the most proud of, that one I was like three days making that, if you remember, mm -hmm. despite getting probably what will end up being a tenth the views of my <laughs> Ampere Leaks videos combined. But the five nanometer analysis video that was really about CDNA2 and Zen 4's launch date, like for that one, I didn't pretend I have extra sources. I mean, I had a, I, I don't remember actually. I, I had a couple I think I brought up, but the majority of that was analyzing public information. Yeah. I'm very clear when I'm analyzing public information, when I have a source that I'm quoting, and when it's just my own guesstimation. So just pay attention to that, because you're only really wrong if you double down on something you estimated like it's a fact, and then it doesn't come true. Yeah, that's true. Um... Like, I will say I'm wrong. Here's an example. I will say I'm wrong. If both next-gen consoles don't come out this year. Because I'm, you know this, Dan. I'm pretty militant. I'm sure they are. Well, yeah, that's... A and you could say, how could I know something would happen? But, well, I'm just saying, I think they're coming out this year. I do. I mean, that's it might be jumping the gun a little bit. But based on what we know now, it seems like the PS5 and Xbox Series X are coming out. Yeah, but I've been saying that for months. So that's yeah, a good yeah. example for me to use, I think. Yeah, that's fair. But if they don't, I have to admit I'm wrong about that. Right, yeah. But if NVIDIA were to cancel some part of the Ampere lineup I talked about, I wasn't really wrong. They canceled it. True. Yeah. So just remember these distinctions, everybody. And uh, yeah, that's my opening spiel. Yeah, and I think it's uh, if you're trying to do like some types of journalism, it's important to 
note when you're speculating, when you're uh, when you're using leaked information, and when you're assembling public information, because all those things tell you very, very different things. I think doing due diligence on that is important. And even when you don't do that, some people still pick up and are like, well, this speculation they call the leak. And no, you didn't. But <laughs> yeah, and that that is a pet peeve of mine I see all the time is people that just go interesting speculation, even if it was a compliment to me. And I'm like, no, this was information that's public. This isn't me speculating. I just did math for you. Yeah, I, I, it annoys me when people confuse leaks, speculation, and I don't know, and and just public info. Well, and it's interesting because there's usually a little bit of conjecture when you're synthesizing like public knowledge, but you can get a lot, a lot of data from reading articles and figuring out, oh, that's what that has to mean. That that does tell you way more than I think people really can realize that it can tell you. I I think there's more to draw from my five nanometer wafer agreement analysis that is much more concrete conclusions than leaks I get. I would say that, yeah, it is more concrete because you know, like if you're basing something off like a patent, you know that that is at least some idea that exists in the ether concretely. A leak, there's still always some doubt that whether it's uh, an accurate leak, whether they're misinforming you or whatever, and uh, accurately guessing what a leak is involves you being able to figure out what you think is accurate and what you think is inaccurate. That's best to do if you have multiple leak sources and stuff like that. But but let us move on. Now, this was going to go into the middle of it, but I think it should definitely be the first one at this point. Um Let's the first story I just titled Moore's Law is Dead publishes NVIDIA Ampere Bombshells. I had two Ampere videos. If you listen to Broken Silicon and haven't watched those yet, highly recommended you watch my Ampere information. I I I I don't like when people claim exclusiveness because who knows? I, I can't be sure what other people have talked about this, but at least by the way it's being covered, this seems to be the first big Ampere comprehensive leak that we've gotten, really. Besides some early die count leaks that really weren't analyzed, they were kind of just tweets, if I remember correctly, and stuff like that. Well, I mean, I don't really say that's a giant leak, right? If if you, you, uh, not to say that it's not interesting or there wasn't effort in, but you tweet a few die count configs and there's no analysis following it. It's like, well, that was interesting, but I I guess I draw a lot of conclusions when I see stuff like that. Like I make a whole video about Cezanne, maybe, or Van Gogh based on something like that sometimes. But I think most people, they just see someone tweet a die config and they're like, okay, we'll see. And Uh, these Ampere videos were dozens of minutes long, massive just, and details about the architecture. It wasn't just like how many numbers are in different brackets that describe, you know, the specs. It was actually things about DLSS 3.0 and, all of that. I mean, I mean, what do you? Well, let, let me sum it up a little bit, right? So, yeah. just so I, I should do that, just to frame this up for everyone. The information I have, and it isn't just from one source. And I know I don't ever confirm how many it was, because then people trying to hunt sources could do process of elimination. <laughs> so that's one reason I am usually pretty vague, by the way, guys. But Ampere is pretty much following the die leaks that I thought looked legitimate, which is to say there's a a GA100 with HBM, there's a GA102, as we would expect, 
and it goes up to 5,300 cuticores. There is a GA103 this time, which I'm fairly confident is the 3080. I guess we won't know until they could decide it's not or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. For all we know, they could decide the 3080 is cut down 102. But I do believe their initial plans were to make this 320-bit, 10-gigabyte card the 3080. And I think it's because they came to the conclusion that they effed up with the 2080. I mean, this is public. It didn't sell as well as they wanted. They they nowhere it wasn't ever really sold out. It was the, one yeah. of the only cards that didn't sell out. <laughs> which most electronics, no matter how bad they are, sell out right away. And they realized that they really skimped on the specs of the 2080, and they can't do that this time. And I would say the same of the 20, the 3070, which has like 3,000 cores, if I'm remembering correctly. And then basically add 1,000 cores as you go up. So yeah, I detail all of that. But then I also detail some pretty incredible stuff. Like it sounds like at least the top half of the lineup will be 7 nanometer EUB at TSMC. Now, this might bring them delays to quarter four or quarter one, but that they're just going to do it so they can match the clock speeds of RDNA 2 because it's clear RDNA 2, in my opinion, will be over 2 gigahertz. I mean, come on, guys, the, con- the PS5 is going to be over 2 gigahertz. So Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty safe to say two, uh, some will be 2 gigahertz at least, but... Oh, no, I'm pretty sure they're all going to be. In fact, I have more to say about that in a second. And DLSS 3.0 just seems to work with games that have TAA. Um, what else was there? Oh, and ray tracing could be four to five times better to the point that, I mean, with some cards, there will be a bigger performance hit, but basically the gist would be, unlike before where a 2080 Ti is just getting 4K 60, and then you turn on ray tracing, all of a sudden it's a 1080p card now. That shouldn't apply anymore. It, sh- it should have enough ray tracing performance to maintain the frame rates you are getting from just pure rasterization. I mean, I think that's a big deal because um, yeah, I think the biggest criticism you could uh, level at, or one of the biggest criticisms I should say you could level at Turing was the fact that it's, yeah, they have ray tracing, but it's arguably not a useful technology to use uh, at the with what they gave us. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was very outspoken. I, and, and I want to say a couple other things about this Ampere leak as well. What fi- what I, some of the things I'm finding so funny as a third-party observer, is how there's this group of people, well, there's a group of people everywhere on the internet that hates everyone. But I mean, like, there's definitely a group of people on WCCF Tech that hates me. And they, I, I found out they just call me AMD fanboy because they refuse to say my name, probably in worries that I'll be summoned, as sometimes I've been known to show up in the comments. Anyways, what was funny is when I saw them start sharing this video, like in comment sections, uh, they, they didn't even know how to react because they're like, wait, AMD fanboy covered NVIDIA? And so I guess what I'm saying is my criticism of Turing is after we knew the full information. Um, and I didn't have any leaks because I didn't have a YouTube channel when Turing was launched. But the public information, if I had a video, I would have said Turing looks really impressive. And so I just I just think it's interesting to use that as a point of reference that I... I'm not a fanboy. I'm interested in Turing, and I would have been interested. I'm interested in Ampere, and I would have been interested in Turing in 2018 um, until they actually revealed pricing and the benchmarks came out. Oh, I'm trying to think because Turing came out what like Q4 2018, something like that, right? Or yeah, so or yeah, end of Q3 or something. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So the main, no, I wouldn't even say main, like the portion where your channel has had any momentum at all. We've already pretty much known everything about Turing, and the big reveal we've had since Turing came out was their super line of cards, which is also strange. I, a weird lineup, and 
I guess what I'm saying is I would have been really interested in Turing. And so no one should be surprised I'm interested in Ampere. Although I will say, if you really think about it, and I'm just thinking of this now, if you look at the information we know, like I literally have a Minecraft ray tracing benchmark. So it's not even really fair to compare it to what I would have thought of Turing. Because we know if, if my information and my sources are legitimate, which I believe they are. I wouldn't have run this if I didn't. Yeah. But let's be fair. Assuming they are, though, we know more about Ampere's performance potentially from this leak than we do from NVIDIA's own reveal, because they probably won't show all, you know. And some of my sources aren't pro-NVIDIA, so they had much more negative things to say than other ones, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's where you see things. I think people are being blown away by the overall ray tracing performance and some of the software like NVCache, and they should be. But I think some people are missing the point that they're still skimping on VRAM quite a bit, probably. Yeah, they are. Like, what What did you say? HBM at the GA100, possibly? Or? Yeah, which I have more to say about that in a second. But only 10 gigabytes of RAM for the, you know, a lot of people would expect 12 gigabytes now for a $700 card. My Radeon 7 is 16. I wouldn't, I mean, it's should be expected at this point, I feel like, at yeah. least 12. But now, now the Tensor VRAM compression might make it acceptable. Although, I don't know. We, have, we need to know how much these things will cost, and we need to know how much of a performance loss there will be, because some people are skimping over that, too. Like, uh, they said it's not a zero performance loss, so I assume that means 5 to 10%, and they're trying to optimize it. For all we know, it's 20 or 30. Yeah. Which I, wouldn't surprise me, which is better than, like, the 100% performance. <laughs> you know, the cutting your frame rate in half or, or more, really, because it's usually stuttery, too, when you run out of VRAM in a game. Uh I mean, it, it, it's, it used to be if you ran out of VRAM in a game, you lower VRAM usage. <laughs> yeah, it just so. doesn't work anymore, really. Like, it's unplayable. But yeah. So, yeah. I guess, what do, you, what do you think about all this Ampere information? I remember reading to you the information before I had completely compiled it, like, just, like, cliff notes. Um, I mean, I think, broadly, it looks, it, it looks definitely interesting. And if the stuff about pricing is correct which i think is speculation there's no way to know the pricing first of all yeah if the is close to correct i think that make it a strong option to buy it and based on those leaks what we know about the actual tech in it i think it might be worth getting uh nvidia again right because you we like you you're in you put nvidia in time out for like five years now yeah pretty much right well about five years probably yeah and you have a Vega 56, so you're sitting here and you're like, I don't think you're interested in getting anything this fall, right? But next year, if prices were low. Yeah, I would consider it. Um, I mean, we'll see. I, I think it's when the option to upgrade bet, uh, comes along is when I would get it. And I don't think any card has come along so far that's sufficiently better, in my opinion, to upgrade from a Vega 56. Now, there will be people who would get mad that you said that, but the fact of the matter is we were used to upgrading from like 560s to 7970s and 7970s to Vega. (laughs) Like over doubling performance. That's what we're used to doing. Yeah, and I'm not saying that I don't think there are better cards out there, to be clear. There definitely are. And if I was in a different setting, I definitely wouldn't have a Vega 56. (laughs) But um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think... Getting a 5700 XT from a Vega 56 makes sense. I mean, I don't 
given the price, I don't think like the 2080 Ti really made games, sense. Right, and we think graphics have looked good for a while. Exactly. So I guess uh, I don't know what else really to say. Uh, about the actual information, guys. Watch the video. It's pretty comprehensive. But I do have some clarifications to add to the video. So, yeah, so I see a lot of people, a lot of websites saying Ampere cards could boost up to 2.2 gigahertz. And I understand the conservatism because I was conservative as well. But I just think anyone who reads that on a website and doesn't watch the video needs to understand that I wrote cards boost above 2.2 gigahertz. The cards <laughs> I saw were far above 2.2 gigahertz. And I'm just adjusting conservatively because it's, in my opinion, safe to say based on the information I have that almost every card in the lineup, as long as, it, of course, this is a big clarification, as long as it's on TSMC's 7 nanometer UV, yeah. I do think half the lineup could be on 8 nanometers still. As long as it's on that node, they were all boosting far and above that. When I say some of them could go to 2.5 gigahertz, yeah, I do. And so it's not up to 2.2, it's above. I'm not, and I have no clue how high they'll go when you overclock them, right? Yeah, and yeah, that would be a huge development, but I Yeah, mean. so that's one clarification. Another thing about DLSS, I kind of, with DLSS 3.0, jumped between two statements between the videos. Like the first one I said, it just works. The second one I said, it's not a magic bullet. And it seems like me and one of the sources may somewhat disagree on how to interpret it, right? So here's how here's the full explanation. It works in all games that have TAA supposedly as long as they are made moving forward, I believe. It just works in them. But it shouldn't work that well unless there's a game ready driver. So it does just work, but I wouldn't double down on it being great unless you have a game ready driver and unless the devs put in a little effort to make sure it worked well. So it might not work perfectly until there's a driver for it, but the fact that it works at all is in every game. Yeah, is. Well, the fact that it works in every game is... Uh, the TAA, which is pretty much yeah. every new game now. Is a massive leap over uh, games that are getting a support support for year-old games. And keep in mind that when, when I say this, NVIDIA is going to push this hard. And if people can't tell the difference, they're considering turning it on by default. Now, it would be in a game-ready driver. So NVIDIA would make that decision per game and say, we think that there's no distinction or it looks better. It is on by default, hard on by default. You have to like go into the NVIDIA drivers themselves and turn it off. Like it overrides the game itself. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that if it if it brings it, and you know, let's say it's not as big of a boost as 2.0, but it's a solid 20% and it does always look better. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that is huge. That's uh, essentially just uh free performance for <laughs> equally powered cards. Another thing, I think this is one of the last things to clarify here, is my GA100 information is much less concrete than my GA102. The GA102 information, I'm pretty pretty damn confident in, guys. So the 100 information is mostly based on some very lighter information I have from a couple sources and publicly leaked stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's two things to say about that. I made the conjecture that if RDNA 2 is good enough, NVIDIA might, and I do think they are, I think NVIDIA is considering making a 3090 graphics card. And I think if I had to guess what the point of that was, it would have been that NVIDIA's initial plan 
was probably to have GA102 be the Titan, the 24 gigabyte Titan again. They were going to make, and so that would have been 5,376 CUDA cores. And then they would cut that down to like 4864 probably and still just give it 11 gigabytes, but maybe lower the price slightly. So you have a $1,000 11 gigabyte card again, but then they will market, you know, tensor compression. Yeah. And then they would have had a 3090 with 12 gigabytes and somewhere between 4,900 and 5,100 CUDA cores. And that would have been like a $1,500 tier. And the reason <laughs> they would do this is twofold. They want to find a way to raise prices. And also, I believe there are a decent amount of professional applications that are built around 12 gigabytes. I really do. And yeah, that's I've heard that several point. people reach out and say, the one gigabyte thing is literally for this one machine learning app. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So it would make sense why they would want to create a buffer tier. So the conjecture I make in the video is it wouldn't surprise me if the 3080 Ti ends up being what the 3090 was going to be with 12 gigabytes, and then they make the 3090 a cut-down GA100 with like 7,000 cores and less HBM than the full Titan. And then they just have the Titan be GA100. See, I do think their initial plans were GA102. So... Here's the distinction to make about the Titan card, though. I have some information that, so there's a few leaks out there that suggested there could be a GA101, and that that would be some kind of six to 7,000 CUDA core version with ray tracing cores and HBM, or even just GA102 with ray tracing cores, which let's keep in mind, there was a TU100, which is basically just, you know, a Titan RTX with HBM instead of GDR6. Yeah. Or GDR, yeah, GDR6. So what I'm saying is this. I know there's GA100. Obviously, we all do. We know it goes up to 128 SMs, 8192 CUDA cores. We know that exists. But there's been rumors that there was a GA101 that they canceled. I don't know if they still canceled it, though. I don't have firm information on this. For all I know, there's a GA101, and this could be two things. It could be a in between 102 and 100 in CUDA core count, but still have ray tracing cores in HBM. Or it could literally just be GA102 with HBM instead of a GDR6, which is I think is more likely probably. Because the top GA100, I've heard from one source, may not have ray tracing cores. And if that's and true... And that would be an Arcturus competitor, so yeah. I don't mind that suggestion. It might not. Like, it might be a true Volta replacement. And in fact, the GA100 rumors spoke of, like, double the Tensor cores to GA102, despite not double the CUDA cores. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Titan still needs to be 102 or 101, which is just 102 with HBM. Um, I mean, that would make sense. And it would make sense if, what, so the GA100 die is, there's a decently likely chance that that's just not a publicly released card at all and that's volta yeah yeah it's a volta replacement that's what it is and so just keep in mind guys my titan information is not nearly as concrete and there's frankly a lot of things they could be doing i heard one person suggest they may still just try to launch a ga100 titan early without ray tracing cores to keep the performance crown which would would be hilarious although i was thinking of this today Titan Volta ray traces 
better than Pascal, a lot better. It's actually only like 20 to 30% worse than Turing. Do you think there's a chance they would launch like a 7,500 CUDA core Titan? And the fact that it has double the tensor cores still for denoising and all those CUDA cores still makes it a little better at ray tracing than TGA-102? I mean, we would need an engineer here to tell us that. I think that's unlikely considering how much better the ray tracing cores are now. I I would say I don't think that would be... Yeah, I I don't think they would release a GA-100 as a, like, Titan replacement or Turing Titan replacement card. That's a good way of putting it. That had worse ray tracing than their GA-102 die. That would be an insanely muddled launch, and I would think that that Titan would drop precipitously in value the second GA-101 or 102 comes out. Unless they make the argument. Unless it's because this is the thing people need to understand is I think they designed like half the lineup or maybe even a little more, like maybe all the way up to 103 or 104. Yeah. I think they may have designed that on Samsung's 8 nanometer with the intention of just 100 being on TSMC the whole time and maybe 102. And if that was their plan the whole time, they may may be able to more nimbly launch GA100 sooner. So the only thing I'm saying is, in defense of my crazy crackpot speculation of what if they launched a mega Titan with worse ray tracing, which would be hilarious, and like and truly show they're worried about RDNA too. The only reason they would do that is if they think they can launch it like this summer or something. I, yeah, I was actually about to say, I think they would, the only scenario I would see other than what I said where they would do that is if they could release it like a full two quarters before the rest a- of their or at least a full out. quarter before AMD, and then they were just very upfront. This is going to be good at gaming. This will do ray tracing significantly better than Turing. It will not do it as well as Ampere, though. This is for people that aren't just buying it for gaming, unless for some reason you need a four thousand dollar gaming card right now, and you don't want to wait three months for a far cheaper thirty eighty Ti. Unless well, they were very upfront about that, which. If they are really concerned about RDNA 2, I guess they would. But I think it would be, I don't think they would. But that's uh, what I'm saying is that's a rumor I've heard from someone that I just want to throw that scenario out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I'm doubtful of it. But if they could get it out way earlier, I, I think that I, I don't think that sounds completely insane to me. Yeah, so I think that's basically it. In other words, I'm pretty confident in the feature set of GA102 and below. I'm pretty confident they're going to use TSMC 7 nanometer EUV. Well, I know there, there's no way they're not for 102 because, for Christ's sakes, the thing's boosting to like 2.4 gigahertz, guys. Um, that's not on Samsung's 8 nanometer. Um, and I think they're going to use that for 103 and 104 as well because those are their flagship lineups and they need to look good next to AMD. But I do think. 107, which is the 128-bit one and below, are just going to have to be Samsung 8 nanometer because they need a large amount of their volume to not come from TSMC, so they're not capacity-constrained. Yeah. And- I, I think so. And keep in mind, Samsung claims to have a 7 nanometer EUV. So I, it is also my opinion that NVIDIA may like do some really weird stuff where they paper launch on 7 nanometer EUV first and then eventually they start switching over things like a 20, like a 3060 SE that's actually made on Samsung's once Samsung gets working. Uh, would 7 nanometer uh, EUV on Samsung be, it would be the equivalent technology 
from TSNC, right? No or way in similar? hell it's as good. Okay, so it might be able to be it'd be more easily designed, maybe. But honestly, I don't even know about that. It, it, it honestly, what I've seen is Samsung's eight nanometer, which is really like a third gen ten nanometer, is honestly not. It, it's definitely better than ten nanometer, mm-hmm. like than TSMC's. Definitely. In fact, it's probably only 20 percent behind the the bog standard seven that launched is mm-hmm. my i don't have the numbers in front of me guys so don't crucify me but that's my memory uh, and samsung seven nanometer euv though to me when i looked at the numbers is only like 30 percent better than that and I, I gotta tell you that would make it samsung seven nanometer euv more comparable to like just standard tsmc seven nanometer nowhere near as good as tsmc uh, seven yeah. nanometer euv is almost a node shrink and yeah and yeah. some performance numbers i've seen uh, so I mean, yeah, I don't see that. I wouldn't see them switching over from uh, seven nanometer TSMC to seven nanometer Samsung on the same cards. But maybe their lower lineup, if they launch it later, they exactly could. like maybe they launch an eight nanometer. And I just think you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they just had like a thirty sixty, but then they waited to launch a thirty sixty Ti. Yeah, right? they- and then phase out the thirty sixty and maybe cut down the thirty sixty Ti or something. Yeah, which I mean, they phase out designs all the time. <laughs> and there's there's just no way around this, you know. Nvidia really had a blind spot when it came to capacity and AMD's um, AMD's relationship with TSMC, and that is obvious in some of the more information that's coming out now. And AMD seems really confident they're going to take the performance crown, or that they very least are going to beat the thirty eighty easily. Yeah, which, NVIDIA, which, which let's put it this way, no matter what happens, no matter if they make some 3090 with like HBM that has ray tracing cores or how, no matter if a- NVIDIA keeps the top performance crown, which I didn't put this in the video, but I had a source that said, I still think they're going to, they're just throwing money at the problem at this point. Like NVIDIA will not be happy if they're forced to release a 3090 in response to losing the performance crown with the 3080 Ti, or even if the 3080 Ti is only like 5 to 10% stronger than AMD. Nvidia will not be happy about that. Yeah, I mean I think a, a a big metric is if they can win the performance crown below like I don't know $1000 that might be uh, close to equally significant. Like it wouldn't capture as much mind share as just taking it all, but Yeah, well I think we've dwelled on this a lot. I think it was fair for us to. We'll probably start flying through stories much quicker now. Yeah. But I mean it makes sense. I mean, I had to cover Ampere a lot in the in this podcast too. Yeah, I don't think I mean, we were talking about anything that wasn't worth saying. These are important clarifications. Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely a you could definitely say that this at least could end up being one of your biggest videos. So. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, it's going to be for now. Anyways, let us get to a couple reader mails here in between the other story. Dragon Eddie writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon, and he says, regarding the latest broken silicon number 46, AMD's 5 nanometer enhanced and TSMC's 3 nanometer delay in your last podcast, you mentioned that AMD and TSMC are best buds and NVIDIA can't buy the node. That said, it looks like Samsung is about to commence 5 nanometer EUV mass production in quarter two of 2020. It's possible that Ampere, if not Hopper, is 5 nanometer UV based. I don't think that's possible, at least not based on what I'm told. And honestly, to the way people, Dragonetti, the way people talk to me about this, it's like they're Samsung 7 nanometer. So here's the funny thing. Let me say this. TSMC's 7 nanometer EUV might have better yields than their 7 nanometer standard. 
Yeah. But the wafers cost a lot more and the production process per wafer, I, I, if my understanding is correct, takes longer. So basically when you choose to use seven nanometer for the seven nanometer enhanced, which is a partial EUV node for the consoles, mm-hmm. that's so you can spit those suckers out. Yeah. And you go to seven nanometer EUV for flagship products, but you might not need to cut them down much. My understanding is that Samsung seven nanometer EUV has horrific yields right now. Which is hilarious when you consider TSMC is just because it's an entirely different technology, it has even better <laughs> yields than the one it's replacing. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know that you'll have any, anything on 5 nanometer EUV soon from NVIDIA, from Samsung. Um, I mean, we'll see. I, uh, but uh, a big thing with NVIDIA is they need, at least at this point, pretty uh, high yield no, uh, nodes because they produce giant dyes, right? So. Yeah. No, oh yeah, like the rumor is like eight hundred and twenty something millimeters squared for GA one hundred. Yeah, so on you, seven nanometer EUV. Gee, <laughs> I know. Yeah, so I, I assume for stuff like that, you would want pretty high yields. I mean, I'm sure these uh, like GA one hundred six dies; those are probably a lot smaller. But yeah, and and the only other thing I'll say is, yeah, it wouldn't be surprised me if they use Hopper on five nanometer EUV from Samsung. But we already know they're buying up capacity from TSMC for this. Yeah, that's for true. something. <laughs> so uh, let's put it this way: Nvidia is pissed off TSMC. I'm just going to say it. That's apparently that's abundantly obvious. And you know what? They've thrown TSMC under the bus a million times before. And Fermi had massive problems. They blamed TSMC. It wasn't their fault. TSMC said, "Hey, there were some unexpected things with this node. You need to co- you need to comply to these design constraints." And T- and Nvidia said, "No, we're going to use the original design." And then they had insane failure rates. You know, yeah. and no one ever seems to care if NVIDIA has failure rates for some reason. But and, and TSMC is, my understanding, much likes working with AMD much more. And so NVIDIA knows they need more flexibility, especially when they look long term and see how much money AMD is making from these tiny chiplets going into $10,000 Epic chips. You yeah. know, <laughs> when NVIDIA see if they're not 10000 now, they, they will be, guys, trust me, when they take even more performance leads. Like, when NVIDIA sees that, they're like, we can't compete with that. Yes, we're selling $10,000, $20,000 graphics cards sometimes, but those are not the high volume ones and they cost more to make. So NVIDIA knows they need more flexibility and that AMD could get into a position where they can just buy NVIDIA off of off of nodes. Uh, I mean, if they start selling well enough, yeah. <laughs> Benny Berlin writes in and he says, Tom, would you bet 20 bucks that NV cache and high bandwidth cache will make GPU dedicated HBM2 obsolete in the long run? Nope. In fact, a source I had said that he thought NVIDIA may have made a mistake not putting HBM on GA102 itself. And that NVIDIA is all of these memory technologies you're seeing that utilize tensor cores, which let me point that out too. I forgot to mention, I mean, all these tensor core technologies all these technologies that leverage tensor cores, they're yeah. doubling tensor cores per SM. So it's no surprise they're going to want to use them for gaming somehow. Um, no, I, I, I think, I think the, with high, things with high bandwidth cache, the argument actually becomes that you want to use HBM more because you might not need as much of a capacity. And no matter how you dice it, when you need more performance, you're going to want lower latency and a higher bandwidth memory, no matter what. I think the question is just how fast, how long will it take for HBM to come down in price? And it is significantly cheaper than when it was introduced. It's just the cheaper it gets, the more everyone wants to use it. Yeah, and I mean, with the new consoles, uh, fast memory might be more important than ever. So, 
Yeah. Although, yeah, I guess I won't double down on any evolution of memory anytime soon. It's just that I think we're going to see some pretty crazy innovations. And I wouldn't bet on it. I think I think HBM's, yeah, I think we're going to see it in more and more products is my answer, basically. If I had yeah. to guess, but I wouldn't double down on any bet, really. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Avenger the 12th writes in and he says, hey, Tom and guest. He says hi to you, Dan. You're the guest. Uh, well, you're not really the guest. You're really like the part-time owner of this bar where we serve drinks of knowledge in the silicon industry. Yeah, that, like that? That, that's a perfect one-to-one analogy. And I like the term part-time owner a lot too. Yeah. So you have said that in the predictable future, 8K gaming really is the end of what anyone will ever need in terms of resolution. Well, we thought that before. And now that I see, maybe I can tell the difference. But like the way I put it is, for me, the difference between 4K and 8K is like, maybe 1080p to 1440p, which is hilarious when you consider it's four times the resolution mm-hmm. and 1440p is only 70% more than 1080p. And, and, and when, I, when I keep that in mind, that even for me, that's the difference. And then also some of these blind studies coming out show that people can't even tell the difference between 4K and 8K at all. Yeah. I, I just think from a practical point of view, 8K is where we're going to I mean, there's going to be high resolutions, of course, but I think that's definitely the last mainstream one for the foreseeable future. I, yeah, that is, that is my statement, Avenger. But he says, what do you see happening with GPUs once we reach that point? Imagine a GPU that runs modern triple, put quadruple A. So <laughs> I'm, I'm getting ready for these quadruple A games. That will be next-gen gaming. Uh, photorealistic gaming, ray tracing 8K with 100 minimum FPS. But that, what? GPU suppliers do next? Do they shrink the GPU and just keep lowering power until it fits in a phone? I do think that's one thing they do. Or until it hits a, gets inside a VR headset, I do think that's one thing they do. Um, is there any point to pack in more power or just keep shrinking and maximizing efficiency? What, what would you say, Dan? Um, well, first, I would start off by saying uh, we're pretty... I, I think we're still reasonably far away um, from... 8K 120 hertz gaming with uh, HDR and ray tracing. And <laughs> so I think a lot of technology, there. there's still a lot to develop from 8K. What happens after that? I guess I don't know. Yeah, probably shrinking down the technology a decent amount. And yeah, maybe integrating it into VR, like he said, that makes sense to me. Um, well, what I think we're going to see is you have to understand how much processing power, even graphically, can go into not just bigger resolutions and graphics yeah. specifically. like And Mountain Blade Bannerlord, a massive performance penalty is just the fact that they're fully rendering complex characters with pretty decent-looking combat um, movements. And, and like They don't look crappy, and they're rendering a 1,000 at once. And so if we get more powerful graphics cards, you can put more enemies on screen, you can have better view distances. There's so many things with physics we can do that right now we're just like raising resolution. And I actually think it's not even going to take 8K. I think that's happening this next-gen console is a lot of developers may even decide to not render in 4K, may even do half 4K because they think it looks good enough. Most people can't tell the difference and they would rather use it for better gameplay. Um, I mean, I I don't understand what, what, how you can make the argument against that really than... Uh, looking to most people not negligibly better, some people decently better, or uh, be able to make 
just different types of games or make games with more characters on screen or better AI and whatnot. Like that sounds like a far more revolutionary idea than just giving me a higher resolution character with, uh, I don't know, better subsurface scattering. Yeah, and I think once we get to like 8,000 stream processors, which may be RDNA 3 already for games. Yeah, that's true. You know, and Hopper, which might be MCM. I don't, although I've heard that might just be like a professional lineup that they might have some other evolution of AMP here that becomes the, the mainstream gaming lineup. But that's complete conjecture. I'm not saying that for sure. Um, I think 8,000 will be good for 8K. But after that, maybe you want higher frame rates. Like I think 480 hertz eventually will be a thing. But for that, it's going to be mostly the CPU. You're really going to want to start trying to, instead of going to 16,000 CUDA cores, it will scale significantly better if you just put all your effort into clocking those 8,000 cores 20% faster. Yeah. Like I I would bet 8,000, I would actually bet money that 8,000 CUDA cores 20% faster will outperform 16,000 because we're just going to hit Omdahl's law at a certain point. People can argue with me about that, but I just think it's, I mean, you already see how. Turing from Pascal and Turing to Ampere, the amount of cores they're increasing is way less of a factor as time's going on, guys. Yeah, and you can see like with some overclocking stuff with uh, guides and stuff with um, the like 5700 versus the 5700 XT, most of those performance gains seem to be coming from increased clock speeds. And you and I have had this conversation before off mic, but we've talked about like the idea that performance uh, scales uh, diminishes after as you add cores that that's seems common to intuitively sense. Make, always been true that seems to intuitively make sense to everyone with cpus but for some reason with gpus the that uh intuitive idea just seems to go out the window and they're like but there's twice as many cores yeah there are twice as many yeah. cores uh there's also twice as many cores on certain cpus you can buy right now you see no real gain in performance in some applications i mean even i don't don't quote me guys but if you look at like some threadripper chips even with zen 2 which is significantly better at scaling across more cores than zen 1 or zen plus i mean you still see like in a lot of applications where people are paying four thousand dollars for a 64 core threadripper it's like 30 50 percent better than the 32 core version yeah and i was talking about gaming well no and so that's but but i want to just point out how that's even true in professional applications yeah cpus and then if we're talking about gpus it's like well yeah but this thing is no this is this is still a processor guys and it does have diminishing returns as you add cores uh graphics paralyzed graphics right for a game are a paralyzed workload or parallelized workload (laughs) and it's just quicker to say paralyzed, guys. That's why sometimes I think I do. But it is parallelized. I know how to say it. Um, and ju- it's more efficient with parallelized workloads to use more cores. More yeah. efficient, not infinitely efficient. There's still <laughs> diminishing returns with graphics cards adding cores. And again, just look at NVIDIA's adding Tensor cores and all this other stuff for a reason. They know it's because if they just add CUDA cores, it's not going to do much. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, so you're seeing a bunch of these more highly specified cores being added onto graphics cards as opposed to just, I don't know, 16,000 CUDA cores, which... Yeah, which I've heard people say that like, oh, well, you know, with a graphics card, uh, you know, they'll go to 16,000 cores because there's more than one thing the graphics card's doing. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's true. But 
So they'll just use different cores. Like they're going to have the rasterization cores, right? At yeah. 8,000 probably. And then they'll have the tensor cores, and ray tracing cores, and they'll probably start adding other cores. I still think it's long overdue. I mean, this is, I guess you could argue tensor cores are kind of turning into anti-aliasing cores that we haven't had extra cores just for, you know, anti-aliasing. Like, why don't we have an anti-aliasing chip built on the card? Why not? I, I have one in one of my HDMI cables. And guys, it works. It does work. Yeah, I mean, the big thing, problem I think you could see with that, which you see a little bit in Turing, is if they're not, if the core counts aren't balanced correctly, that it would be wasting performance on some of those other cores. And Ampere is much more balanced now. Turing was a guinea pig because they knew, they knew if they had the ray tracing performance be twice as good, they might only increase rasterization by like fifteen percent over Pascal. Mm-hmm. And, and and then even in the games where it would be more impressive. You know, there'd be a very small amount of games, no matter how good the ray tracing performance was. Yeah. Which is why, again, NVIDIA, yeah, I'm told uh, Turing's going to age like Kepler, <laughs> which is just funny to see. Again, I don't think, I think Ampere could be the next Maxwell. Hopefully. Like this generate, this thing where if you had a 980 Ti, still works fine, guys. I mean, yeah, I hope that's what we see out of it. Okay. And time for story number two. I guess I don't know how long this is going to be, but it seems like we spent the first half possibly on just Ampere and some opening statements, but whatever. For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and Dyshrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use Dyshring for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games and Broken Silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmarking. All right, Intel's first 7 nanometer client marker microarchitecture is Meteor Lake, named after the meteor-sized lake that will be left after Zen 5 crushes it. Anyways, oh, it doesn't say that, but that's my conjecture. Quoting from Tech Power Up, not much else is known about it except that it succeeds the 10 nanometer plus plus Alder Lake, an ambitious attempt by Intel to replicate ARM's big little heterogeneous core technology on the x86 architecture by combining a number of high power cores with high efficiency cores on a single piece of silicon until Lakefield headed towards mass production within this year is also a heterogeneous core and actually the first one. So those who don't know, yeah, this design 
Lakefield is one Sunny Cove core. That's what's in Ice Lake. With, I believe, four Tremont cores. It's four Adam cores. Yeah. And, and why do they do that? Well, four Adam cores take up the same amount of space as one Sunny Cove. And yeah, they'll be clocked lower and they might have half the IPC, but I'd rather have five threads, frankly, than one core with hyper-threading personally. It probably will perform better. Yeah. Right. Even an X86. And that's what they're also doing with Alder Lake, which I covered in October of 2019 on my giant Whispers of Golden Cove video. You know, I and that one I didn't know it was Big Little yet, but I knew it had more cores. And we've since learned, and I have put into a specific Alder Lake video that it's like eight um Golden Cove cores on 10 nanometer and then possibly eight atom cores. And it sounds like Meteor Lake is a similar design, but it is not on 10 nanometer. This is the first one being specifically designed for 7 nanometer and for a 2022 launch window. What do you think, Dan? Well, I mean, I think obviously the biggest deal here is 7 nanometer. Uh, they might finally be off of the cursed 10 nanometer node in 2022, assuming they can keep up with their uh, timelines, which they've had trouble with in the past. But Right. I did a video on this, though. I do think Intel may get 7 nanometer out in 2022, that yeah. they've been working on it for longer than a lot of people realize based on some public information, but but it was pushed towards me and it was analyzed by uh, an analyst and uh, who I talk to sometimes. And he's like, yeah, this suggests that they're really on their second try at 7 nanometer EUV and it really might be ready in 2022. And I've long said that I do think 2021 will be just a 10 nanometer year for Intel. Now, of course, there will still the mini 14 nanometer products, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I, we've actually heard of Meteor Lake for a while, but this popped up in a tweet and it's interesting. Yeah, it is. All right. Number three, as we just spoke of, Alder Lake shows up again, eight plus eight cores on 10 nanometer and so does Sapphire Rapids, which I included that one last minute as well. Sapphire Rapids is the Willow Cove based, I believe, server uh, CPUs that are apparently going to be in an exaflop supercomputer in 2021. Again, that's just suggesting. I, I bring that up because it's like, well, they have this contract, so they seem confident they will actually have 10 nanometer done as a very real node making up supercomputers next year. I mean, yeah, if it's going into supercomputers, I assume they're finally actually confident in 10 nanometer. But <laughs> yeah, do you have anything else to add about Alder Lake or, uh, or Sapphire Rapids? No, not really. I mean, we pretty much knew all of this, right? Like, eh, it's just interesting. It's popping up more. And again, for me, I think the takeaway is it's becoming more and more clear, in my opinion, that Alder Lake is a very real thing on a real 10 nanometer node coming probably mid to late 2021. And that 2022, at least Intel's acting like they will have seven nanometer <laughs> ready. Of course, like you point out, they've acted like this before and it amounted. To a bucket of shit. <laughs> Fatboy Diesel writes in and he says, considering AMD's approach to ray tracing and their recent smart shift technology in all AMD laptops, could you see AMD leveraging integrated GPUs with dedicated GPUs to divert resources when rendering in the future? Say the APU handles some of the ray tracing while the DGPU handles the rest or the APU handles upscaling with a direct ML while the DGPU does RT? I certainly could. Um, and I think this is something Intel is going to push more. And, and I guess, and the reason I say that, I wrote some notes here, is because I just think AMD's approach to integrated graphics is yeah. different than Intel. A lot of their CPUs don't have it. I, I think AMD designs, right? Well, think of this, right? They designed their CPU architectures 
And then they design their GPU architectures. And they get a contract for the PlayStation 5, for example. Mm-hmm. They integrate the ones that they think are best to combine. Whereas Intel seems to think of integrated graphics much more as a tacked-on thing for every CPU. And so that's why it would make sense why Intel would work on things like SmartSync or QuickSync, it is, yeah, QuickSync and other things to accelerate like rendering performance of some of their multi-core processors. I think AMD is just like, we'll just use the die space for more cores, and then we'll also add a GPU that we think fits this CPU. I mean, yeah, that makes that, that makes sense to me why Intel would be more focused on that. Like they're they've typically had a way more uh, laptop focused market, so throwing integrated graphics on everything and makes not for sense gaming, not for a bunch of things, but for office work and you know desktop tasks. Yeah, so I mean, if they if AMD started leveraging this, they would have to start throwing integrated onto. They wouldn't their- have to, but you'd think. Yeah, I don't know. And you guys don't understand how much, how little space cores take up. Like nothing. <laughs> the cache, like like a quad core Zen 2, uh, with, even with the L2 cache included, is like, I believe it's like 16 millimeters squared. Once we go to five, we're getting down to like 10 or so, yeah. depending on how well it shrinks. I mean, I don't know, guys. I, I think if AMD will go, well, why add? a GPU to everything for accelerating tasks when I can just add eight more cores. You know, it depends, right? I mean, it, uh, the same argument can be made for the GPU cores because they also shrink. I don't think they shrink quite as well, but they do shrink well. I don't know. I I, I, I guess we'll see, but I, that's just how I think AMD approaches it is it's like we got a GPU, a CPU. What are we making? Renoir. What would be a good pairing? For, you know, and then they make it, whereas Intel's like, everything's going to have it. And so we might as well make that GPU that's taking up half of the bloody die do something. Yeah, now that I think about it, it, it does seem to be a more logical thing that it, for Intel to do because assuming they were offloading like ray tracing to an iGPU for AMD, would that might assume that they want you to also get their AMD graphics card so they can work in sync with one another. But Yeah, or they, again, they think of the APU as if it has a GPU, it's not like a little weak one that accelerates yeah. tasks. It's a big, powerful one, like in Cezanne. That, and again, like Cezanne, the rumor, the information I had is that it would ha- could have up to 24 compute units. And at that point, on RDNA 2, talking about an APU that has a... a P, uh, well, a, what, what, if you, depending on, on, on laptop, I think a PS4 Pro on desktop, an Xbox One X. Yeah, probably. But yeah, at least the PS4 and a half, I would think. But Oh, well, it's going to crush <laughs> the PS4 base. Uh, Renoir already matches it. Um, anyways, number four. TSMC 5 nanometer products are leaked. AMD Zen 4, RDNA 3 GPUs, NVIDIA Hopper, and this is the big one, Intel Z. Quoting from WCCF Tech, Products manufactured on the upcoming TSMC 5 nanometer have already been confirmed in a leak from the China Times. While it had products that we've all already been expecting, like Zen 4, RDNA 3, and NVIDIA Hopper, it also had an unexpected entry, Intel Z graphics. There have been a lot of rumblings that Intel might put Z on 5 nanometer, but this is another feather in that rumor hat. <laughs> um, I like that right up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that at least confirms that they're thinking about this, right? Yeah, and a lot of people would uh, point out that that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to use it, but that, again, uh, Intel's 7 nanometer EUV process is very aggressive if they actually hit the numbers they hit. And it's pretty comparable to TSMC's 5 nanometer density shrink. 
Mm-hmm. Just like if they ever got 10 nanometer perfect, it's actually comparable to probably N7P, mm-hmm. if not EUV, but N7P. So I've talked about this in other videos and podcasts before. Intel needs backups. I don't think this is confirmation Intel's moving to other suppliers. And I know a lot of people ask me, how, why do you think they do this? And it's just like, they cannot let all of their products be enslaved by 14 nanometer or, or even 10 nanometer. Any, you know, they have to be nimble enough to put some products on TSMC if they screw up again. And that's what yeah. this is about. I don't think it's confirmation they'll do it. It's confirmation they're seriously considering it, though. Yeah. All right. Avenger the 12th writes in, and he says, Tom, could you address IPC? Specifically, what is it? How do you improve it generally? How are companies improving it? Are they holding back? Are there limits to improving IPC fundamentally or technological? Thanks. Um, honestly, IPC is a loaded term. I don't want to, because it's it stands for instructions per clock. Yeah. And we loosely use it to describe, you know, just if we clock the same amount of cores at the same speeds, which one one will one outperform the other one and by how much? That's how much higher IPC it has. But I don't think people should think about it as a perfect term. Because it depends on the application. You know, Zen 2 is 40% higher IPC, same cores, same clock speeds compared to Zen 1 in some professional applications. And then there's some where it's like 5% better than Zen 1. IPC, and you know, how do you really compare it, right? It has more cash. Is this really fair? Is it really the same cores to compare? You know, and then there's also things like um, GPUs. It's completely imperfect because they're way more, there's so much going on and how they're organizing yeah. a GPU. And you say, I think it's fair to say Pascal and Max will have basically the same IPC unless you're in DirectX 12. But, uh, you know, Turing's different than Pascal guys saying that it has 15% more IPC, which is what it claims is. It's still not a perfect number. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of the time IPC probably just kind of becomes even if it's not the <laughs> technically the correct terminology at a certain point, it's just the term we use for how how good an architecture is at this clock. That's I think what a lot of people kind of default to what it means a lot of the time. But you know, you know Cortex was pointing out to me. I suspect this will be part of some video he's working on. He sent me some charts that showed that IPC increases, at least in Nvidia, have almost always been due to the node. If you like, he like like there were charts showing performance per watt per node and he's like you could make the argument that intel's uarc improvement thing with the exception of maybe maxwell although that was clocked faster and had larger dies so i don't know that like just a straight ipc increase with the same die size is almost non-existent that's just one thing to point out as well is that a lot of it usually comes from things you get exclusively from shrinking nodes yeah, and that it's usually not nearly as high as they claim it is sometimes, and that uh, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're. I, I'm sure, like a lot of the time, the IPC game they're telling you it's uh like miles per gallon with cars, or it's like if you're driving oh, downhill yeah. on a. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want to get into it too much more than saying that I can't tell you how to improve it. Generally speaking, I mean, I could, but a little, but I would start. I'm not I'm not someone who designs CPUs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I should just take a step back and not do that. <laughs> yeah, a computer engineer would be a good person. To but I think I've explained it and you know just for those again just to summarize. Well, generally what we're talking about with IPC, same amount of cores, same clock speeds, 
what percentage more does one perform? That's how much higher IPC it is. And it is important to point that out because so many people, that's classically what you would think of as IPC and what we're usually talking about. Mm -hmm. And people act like Intel is higher IPC. And in some applications, they sometimes do, but it's not really that. It's just they have higher clock speeds. Although I will say this, it is clear from a video I found, and I might have a guest on who made it to talk about this, that Intel's performance scales more linearly with Skylake increasing core clocks than Zen 2 does. That Zen 2 may hit a scaling wall at like 4.4 gigahertz. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was really weird to look at, and that Zen 3 might improve this. So that's all I'll really say about that. But So what I'm saying is even then, it's an imperfect number. Because IPC increases can be different depending on which clock speeds you're deciding to cap them at to compare them. Anyways, yeah. I think we should move on. Yeah. Number five, Intel 10th Gen Comet Lake S final specs and pricing leak. And this comes from video cards. In a presentation that we have, Intel explains why high frequency is still an important factor when choosing the CPU. Of course, <laughs> Intel has to say that. In a slide titled, Why Frequency Matters, Intel says, new 10th gen Intel Core S-series processors up to 5.3 gigahertz. Games and applications continue to depend on high frequency cores. Around 60% of games are optimized for single core. I don't know where they get that number from. Better performance required to drive high frame rates, a foundation element of achieving lower latency. This is where frequency matters. The only thing I will say is that this is true, that you would rather have 50% higher clock speed than 50% more cores always, which people are forgetting when comparing the consoles, that it isn't perfect. Just look at how the 3300X like outperforms the 1600 in a lot of apps. Yeah, and that's how the true. 3600 outperforms the 1700X, even if you clock them the same in multi-core applications. Mm -hmm. Just keep that in mind, people. We've talked about this in it. But uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Intel's harping on this. I guess I wrote down some notes. Like the 10-core is... $488, the top one it looks like. The bottom 10 core uh, is about the same price as a 3900X. So what is that, like 440? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the i7 is $374, eight cores, 16 threads. I don't know how the hell that's going to compete with $300, 3800Xs. The <laughs> i5 is priced, which is just six cores and 12 threads, is the same price as a 3700X goes for now. And the top i3 and bottom i5s are around 150 do not know how that's going to compete with, uh, with the 4 gigahertz 3600 <laughs> boosting when these, I mean, to, to, to emphasize what I mean. So, yeah, so there's a six core 12 thread i5 that's like $157, but its base clock's 2.9 gigahertz, which is not high frequency. <laughs> and it has less IPC than Zen 2. But yeah, so I don't know. What do you say about Comet Lake, Dan? Um, I'll say I think it's interesting. I just checked this, but uh, I think it's interesting that the 10900K is launching at the exact same price as the 9900K. Oh, yeah. I mean, they want to keep that. I got to say, look, the 3900X is just going to go down to 400 bucks, and uh, it outperforms the, the i9-10900K. It just does. And all of these look like a complete joke to me. And there's a reason, you know, uh, a lot of people, were, t which we'll get to in a second, you know, 3300X. I mean, they just did that to humiliate the i3, so there's no argument for getting, like, a 5 gigahertz i3. Yeah. That's why they launched the AMD launched the 3300X. And I have a lot, like, I covered in my, you know, microarchitecture Zen leak whispers video, whatever, whatever I called it. <laughs> um, 
You know, there is this thing I keep getting hints dropped about Matisse too. Would not surprise me as I cover in that video if a 3850X comes out with, you know, few higher percent clock speeds and 3920X and all of this. And then they try to get it out like a week before these reviews or before you can actually buy these. Yeah. Like, I don't know what, I think they're supposed to come out in July. And I know Comet Lake should have reviews very soon, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was Comet Lake was a paper launch. I always heard Comet Lake won't have decent volume until June. And so they may wait for this to come out. And then like a few weeks later, just get a bunch of 3920X, 3750X reviews out. Yeah, I mean, which that would make a complete joke of this uh, lineup. I mean, and I think we're seeing the early whisperings of that right now with the 3100 and 3300X, where I think those things are in most games outperforming like more expensive 9400. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, let us get to it. Story number six the R3 3100 and 3300X reviews are in. Now, I quote from Cortex's review of these Intel's uh, of these Intel's i5-9400 only came ahead in Deus Ex, a game nobody plays, although I really like it. <laughs> and every other title, the Ryzen 3 chips performed exceptionally well, particularly the 3300X with two chiplets, well, two core chiplets. Yeah. Also of note is the fact that the 1600AF, which is basically an R5-2600, looks a bit overpriced now especially considering you can get the 3100 for less and get the same performance in gaming right now, at least. My only reservation is that we will soon have consoles that have eight cores on the market and games in the next couple of years will be coded to take advantage of extra multi-threaded performance, even above eight cores. So it's hard for me to recommend buying a four core eight thread part in 2020. I think you'll be happy with the 3300X for the time being, but what about a year from now? It's hard to say how these chips will age, so I can only evaluate them now and how they perform today. And for the money, these Ryzen 3s are hard to beat, especially the 3300X. My recommendation is to avoid the i3-9100F and 9400F. You really need a 6-core, then the 1600AF or the 2600 are better choices given the more flexible platform, right? And I know these are like 120 or 130, like I... So I speculated the exact price, apparently. <laughs> Although it's like just based on previous prices. So yeah. I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I think if these are around 100 bucks, there's an argument to be made. I think 150 for a 3600 is just a better choice, though. And if you're trying to save money, get, you yeah, know. Definitely. Uh, if you're trying to really save money, I would argue, well, what games are you playing? Can it run on a, just four threads? The 1200AF, which is the 12 nanometer rebrand of the 1200, is like $60 or something. Like, because I think the argument for this is the reason you get a 3300X is you get this in a B550 motherboard and then upgrade to Zen 3 with a ton of cores if you yeah. need to build now. But I don't know. I would look up what games you run in. If I, I, I shit on quad thread CPUs constantly, but. There are plenty of games that still work, and if you game around 16, you're okay with some frame drops. I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say why you buy a quad core anymore unless it's like 60 bucks, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think how accessible eight cores, 16 threads are now. It's I think it's safer to just go with that, especially given that the consoles are going to be using eight thread 16 core (laughs) CPUs. Yeah. Story number seven. AMD's B550 chipset is detailed, and it's ready for Zen 3. However, older AM4 motherboards are not compatible. And I'm quoting 
some notes I just wrote down. You read this, Dan? Yeah. So correct me if I get anything wrong here, but basically the gist is, I'm not going to quote too much. I'm just reading the, the summarization. B550, which is coming out now with PCIe 4.0 support, and I know it's a 550, it's a 50 uh, series motherboard, so some people may get mad. It's like over 100 bucks for some of them. But as far as I can tell, this is X470 with PCIe 4.0. So it's basically just replacing 470 with 4.0. Um, and I'm not worried about that. But anyways, it seems like B550 and X570 are required for Zen 3. And by the way, I have sources telling me that Matisse 2 refreshes will also not work on things below B550. Um, and it's clear, and I want to be clear why that would be. So you're like, oh, Matisse 2, those are Zen 2, what the hell? I think a lot of people are calling AMD evil right now. And while this is definitely not the best decision, it definitely doesn't look good. It's definitely not a good thing. So I don't, I don't want to say I'm defending them. But what I've been told is that the BIOS file on the motherboards is just full with too many CPUs, too much information, too much microcode, and yeah. they're done. And that the yeah. new motherboards have room for it. Uh, the one thing I heard is um, it w- AMD isn't releasing some micro- some code to the uh, motherboard manufacturers. Oh, so they could decide on their own because some yeah, of them probably be- could support it. Because what was it? I think uh, I think like X three seventy doesn't officially support some CPUs, but a lot of manufacturers allowed for the support of those CPUs. Yeah, and I know some manufacturers for a while now have been releasing multiple versions of updates where like some of them don't support like Bristol Ridge, which remember, there's still Steamroller APUs. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So they don't support that, or what they'll do is they'll have the last version of the microcode that would support up to Zen Plus, and then they'll just have a new one that only supports like select Zen plus and then like all Zen two. And then, you know, and so there is an argument certainly to be made though, that they could have put more effort into this. Although I do think it's a lot of strong arming though, from motherboard manufacturers that they don't want to be forced to support a hundred different CPU models. Yeah, that's probably part of it. Although, well, no, I mean, they still sold the boards, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I think uh, they also might have made the calculation that this is a relatively niche problem and it sucks for the small group of people that have that problem. But Well, yeah, I mean, they rushed out, and I included this. Did you read that AMD's statement about it? Oh, no, I didn't see that. So I don't know if they fixed it, but I, I skimmed it and I found multiple spelling mistakes <laughs> the day, this, the hour this came out. The, I, I really think they rushed out the exciting future of AMD's socket AM4 memo. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's no way around it. This isn't a pro-consumer choice by AMD. Yeah. I don't personally see it as a giant thing because I think it's already insane you can go from an R3 1200 quad core to a 3950X 32 thread on the same socket for a lot of people. And that was probably the type of performance upgrade that people didn't even know might come in their wildest dreams, if we're being honest. I think Zen 2 has pound out so well that I don't think you can, most people will be able to make the argument that they haven't gotten their money's worth, even if they're limited from Zen 3. I'm not defending AMD. I don't know, right? It's funny that I told a lot of people to get a 2700X during Christmas for like 130 
and still get an X570 motherboard to avoid any upgrading hassles that might come. And it looks like that advice was substantially better advice than I even knew it would be. Yeah, and I'm glad I decided to go with that there. I did briefly, I I did almost consider getting an X470 motherboard instead, but decided to go with X570 because it wasn't significantly more money, really. And I'm not sure what I'm going to end up upgrading to. I'll probably upgrade the CPU at some point, though. I mean, if I had to guess what you're going to do, because you only have eight cores at 4.4 gigahertz, you know, big old peasant over here. Um, is that you'll probably just wait for Zen 3 to get cheaper. I think there's a really like good chance. Like in three years, and then you just get the 4950X, right? There's a good chance I'll wait for Zen 3 if if uh, what we've been seeing keeps happening and their CPUs just keep plummeting in prices whenever their new gen comes out. Well, I don't keep, know, maybe I would get like a 3900X if it ever got cheap enough. But Yeah, which, I mean, I mean, what do we, what do we know, right? I mean, like the 1900X, which was like the $550 eight core from Zen 1 for Threadripper. That mm-hmm. was like 120 bucks eventually. Yeah, and what did the 2700X launch at? Like just a year ago it was. And yeah. that was like a few year, two years after it came out. So yeah. who's to say in a few years you can't get at least a $200 4950X? Yeah. And I don't know if I have any plans of upgrading. I guess what I'll say is if Zen 3 was like 30% better, 50% overall, and it was that cheap, I might upgrade. <laughs> I mean, why not? If it will help, if it, especially if it was especially good at certain applications. I will say the 3950X I have is fine. And I got it because, oh man, it's made doing these videos so much easier. <laughs> yeah, I know it has for you. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've noticed. Um, all I can really say is my opinion is this is anti- I don't want to use the word anti-consumer, but it's certainly not pro-consumer. AMD probably could have done more, but I do I do think it's a combination of very real problems and motherboard manufacturers pushing against them, but AMD could have done more, and some motherboard manufacturers probably would have wanted to support Zen 3 on their high-end motherboards, That, but now they also want to sell new ones. Yeah, that's true, and maybe, I, I think in the end, they probably just made the calculation that this isn't an issue that that many people have the people buying new uh, an x470 board now that are planning to get zen 3 or zen 4 or something i i don't know how many people there are there's a lot of them in comment sections right now and oh you're saying how many people this actually affects yeah well i don't want to make that argument because you're kind of throwing people who no i'm i'm not got a motherboard under the bus dan no i'm i'm saying i that might have been the calculation they made that uh, honestly it. i think the calculation and there were like we've discussed there's probably 10 of them i think one of the big calculations amd made is this this is it we're going to have 10 to 20 percent more ipc with zen 3 we're gonna have slightly higher clock speeds this is the year where we no argument have like 10 percent better gaming performance than intel yeah and once we have that why not make them buy a bunch of chipsets yeah, because gamers, top end gamers, have proven they're dumb enough to buy a new Intel chipset every goddamn eight months. It seems, <laughs> and I bet AMD's like, this is the first time we can really milk the, I don't even know, e peen market, and like, like the most uh, most people are buying Ryzen chips in the do it yourself market now. Just overall, like it's true. If you're on Newegg, you know, or or uh, what is it, Mind Factory, I think in Germany yeah. or whatever. Like you're buying Ryzen, like they are saying now up to 60% of the time over Intel, even just for gaming. 
However, there is still this group that just buys the 8700K, buys the 9900KS. And I think AMD realizes now that they can fully capture those people, that it is just a good business decision to make them buy the new chipset too, instead yeah. of maybe saving money also on an X570. Or, uh, or on an X470 if they don't want PCIe 4.0. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, I, <laughs> I think that's a, kind of the argument I was trying to make, but not in a phrase the best way. Um, Let's move on to number eight. So maybe X670 and other 600 series chipsets do exist for Zen 3 Vermeer. And this comes from Twitter that mentions it again. And Honestly, uh, the only reason I put this here isn't even for the validity of this specific leak, but I do keep seeing X670 pop up every now and then, Mm -hmm. which is weird to me because I have a source that I trust quite a bit that said, no, they're just keeping X570. Hmm. So I I just, I put this here because I do keep hearing mixed information about X670. And and my understanding is the only thing it was going to add is USB 4 and like four more PCIe lanes or something. So it wasn't going to be that big over X570 anyways. Yeah, I don't know. Some people want those extra lanes though. Yeah, I mean, there's not a big like uh, game-changing like new spec to come out. So it might make sense to just skip it one generation if they don't need to upgrade. I don't know. Yeah. I guess the only thing I'll ever add on to this is I don't think AMD's putting Zen 4 on. Well, wait a second here. Oh, well, when we get to the next reader mail. Mm Mm-hmm. Conan the Librarian, awesome name, says, what do you think the chances are we could see Zen 4 pull a Haswell E and support both DDR4 and DDR5? Um, like, uh, And Skylake actually supports both DDR3 and DDR4 still, because mm-hmm. they're still freaking using Skylake. <laughs> You'll still see some laptops, and they'll try to sneak this in. They'll have like 1600 megahertz DDR3L still sometimes in laptops. And they're just like 32 gigabytes of RAM. And it's like, yeah, it's running at half the speed of the competition. But um, anyways, well, honestly, Conan, I doubt it. I think AMD is going to decide to just do a clean break from AM4 in 2021. I think they've supported it long enough. And that saving die space to just have a DDR5 controller makes sense. And they can just keep selling you Zen 3 on X570 for a while. And then if you want DDR5, you get Zen 4 and X6 or 770, whatever it is. I mean, yeah, one thing that's really surprised me is how long they've been on AM4 at this point. Um, I feel like I've been expecting a new socket at this point, but... Yeah, I mean, no, but do you have anything to say about DDR4, DDR5 support? Uh, No. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so. But I'm not, I wouldn't bet. I don't know. They could do it. There's, But you know what, though, guys? The fact that I hear I've been told Zen 3 Plus has DDR5 support, that to me just tells me once they move to 5 nanometer, they want DDR5. And if you want to buy the cheaper stuff, just buy the old stuff. Yeah. Anyways, um, moving on. Number nine. AMD ramps up CPU production for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. And I'm quoting from Tom's Hardware, also I think a tweet, with the effects of the coronavirus pandemic still overshadowing overshadowing over the entire tech industry, it's easy to see why many would think that the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X would be delayed. However, in a recent earnings call, AMD CEO Dr. Lisa Su stated, we expect semi-custom revenue to increase in the second quarter and be heavily weighted towards the second half of the year as we ramp up production to the support 
the holiday launches of the new PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. AMD's commitment to increase chip production is an encouraging sign, as it would imply that Sony and Microsoft should receive sufficient chips for their new devices, barring any external setbacks. The PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X should be in shelves by Christmas time. And in fact, actually later in this, I have down an interesting leak. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. That uh, someone, apl- uh, so an, open in, an open position in Japan for Sony Interactive lists October as the launch date, which, which I think is a somewhat possible leak that they just screwed up. Which Although I thought was, I don't know. I thought it was it's a pretty little, big oversight. I thought it was a little funny. Sony Sony didn't say that the posting was fake, though. They said that that was a typo in the posting. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a weird slip up. But I'm going to say what I've said again. These ideas of constrained consoles and delays, I've been one of the few to openly say, I think the things we expect to come out this year are. There may yeah. be more supply constraints, and we just have to be ready for like randomly something being delayed a month. But I don't see, I think, I think stuff's coming out when we expect it to, guys. I've, I've been saying this. Um, yeah. And uh, I think this pretty much confirms that this is, that they're coming out this year if they're about to ramp up production. That's typically the time scale you see if you want to release at the end of the year, I believe, for yeah. consoles. Well, I mean, and I know Digital Foundry said they're supposed to get a PlayStation 5 to tear down within a month. So guys, so, it's real you. and it's ma- it's almost made at least. <laughs> yeah, I really think these things are coming out this year, and the, the PlayStation Five rumor for October is exciting too because I know they were only really committed to holiday because they weren't sure it was going to happen. Be awesome if actually these things came out like a month before Thanksgiving. Yeah, and that uh, that would legitimately surprise me. Like if they were actually able to put it in October, I think Sony. I think both. I think both of them and and Microsoft are going to want to launch their console the soonest they can get 1 million units at multiple regions any week. I think they want to launch as soon as possible. Yeah, and I would say that would be a bigger deal in the past. Like, uh, I think that would put Ghost of Tsushima launching like just under a month, uh, like about a month before. No, two months before. uh, Well, they launched Beyond Two Souls like a month before PS4 came out. Although I think Ghost of Tsushima will be a significantly better game. (laughs) Yeah, so I I don't know. Maybe they also don't see the idea of like a clean uh, generation break as as significant because that game will probably be backwards compatible. So Yeah. All right. And number 10, the Xbox reveal. Everyone seems to think it was disappointing. I think it was fine. I just want to say that I'm only covering this because I thought it was interesting, the coverage. I thought it was fine. I... I they showed games and I the one thing that annoyed me was seeing so many people say that this was a lukewarm. Well, of all of the E3 conferences I watched, um, I would say for every single company, about uh, half of people in comment sections were always saying every conference was lukewarm. Yeah, um, and so I'm just numb to the term lukewarm by now. It seems like no one's happy with anything. I think sometimes that was fair, but at this point. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really expect anything from these anymore, too, though. I think a lot of it is uh, also the response online, I think, is probably just a lot of people wanting to criticize Xbox because probably they uh, you. Oh, it's you been, see the second cool. you can criticize Xbox. You can. 
And no, like you see it it's with Sony cool, too. It's been cool right? So now it's punk rock to criticize Xbox. So here we go. Here's our chance. Oh yeah, that's true. That's how I think of it is it's just the zeitgeist like Sony was so firmly destroying Xbox and the Xbox Series X reveals were all perfectly handled. The specs were impressive. And so, yeah, screw Sony. Let's root for the underdog, a company that has double the size of Sony. <laughs> and now that Xbox is perceived to have the momentum, it's like, you know what? Screw Microsoft. That's kind of how I see all of this. And I saw yeah. that on PS360, Jen. It was ever, whichever one was perceived as winning, people would just start shitting on it for fun. Yeah, that's true. And the, I, I think the thing that people uh, are most are criticizing a lot of the time is they called it a gameplay reveal and there wasn't much gameplay. I think that's a fair criticism. That like, is. Um, like all these pre-rendered things where it's in third-party games and it's like, eh. Well, they didn't say this was, they said this was all third-party games, I believe, before the oh, conference. Oh, they did, that's right. But it, I think it's strange to lead with yeah, third you're parties. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how many first-party games Xbox is going to actually have in the first year, so that's why. They I mean, own this, a this, lot this of first party, <laughs> Yep, and they haven't been... They they bought them not too long ago, Dan. That's true. I could go buy a 1,000 studios now. They will have no games for you tomorrow. Like, I, I think their first-party reveal is just going to be all about Halo and... Yeah. Oh, what do you think the chances are we'll see a Forza game? I think very. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um... But yeah, I don't know. I don't know that much else to add. I did have a thing, though, that it's just funny. I think also people were expecting some Xbox stream reveal or some pricing and pre-order information. And I got to say that, like, the Xbox stream, I'm not sure exists. I know they were considering it, but that doesn't mean they're actually going to launch the damn thing. I know Sony was considering a PS5 Pro at launch, but I don't think they're going to have one at launch. Um well, there are rumors they might do two SKUs with different storage amounts now. Um, I don't know. I just, I guess the one thing I'll say is I am kind of surprised they didn't do pre-orders yet. Because I was thinking that'd be such a savvy move for Xbox when everyone seems to be shitting on PlayStation. Get the pre-orders in now, man. <laughs> well, Sony's silent. Get them in now. It doesn't matter if the PlayStation ends up being better. There are some people, once they buy something, will just double down and say it's the best. Yeah, I, and the only reason I don't think they would do that is because they haven't told us the price yet and why they, they haven't determined a price yet. I don't know. but uh, They must be unsure of what to do because I know they want to do much better than previous gen. They're hungry for that. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure this thing isn't less to make than the PS5, and my bill materials suggest it's $20 more. And so if they were to sell it for, let's say, 400 I think they could be taking an $80 to $100 loss. Yeah, that's true. Which they've true. done before. The 360, they took like a $200 loss at launch. Yeah, and I, I, I do want to add, like, I, I find it weird that people are saying uh, selling it out as a loss uh, makes it a no-go. Both Sony and Microsoft have done this before. Oh, yeah. The only one that doesn't anymore, really, is... Anymore, they used to. Yeah. Is uh, Nintendo. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about earlier consoles. Maybe they sold those at a loss, but there's a long. They've almost always refused to. And I guess the one thing I want to say as well is again, Microsoft, you have the momentum. Do it now. Announce. It's like if I were to give uh, advice to Microsoft, it's like, I mean, do you want to fucking win? Like, if you want to win, announce pre-orders in the price now. Well, we don't know what to price it at. What are you willing to accept? What's the lowest one? Do it, and you win. Fortune favors the bold. If you actually, you, this is a device 
where people who buy games on it have to give you tons of money. <laughs> You're locking in dozens of pro- dozens of games and sales to you if they buy your console. And now you have the momentum. It's honestly weird to me they haven't done this. To me, it shows massive indecisiveness, weird indecisiveness after how well they've executed on their initial stuff. And again, just my advice, Microsoft, right now, move up the first party reveal. Do it now and open up pre-orders after showing the new Halo. And whatever the lowest price you're willing to accept is, 500, 450, 400, go to that and just win. Like, what are they doing? Um, I, I really don't know. Uh, if Because if they let the momentum die down, it's easier for Sony to pick up with momentum. Like, if, like I think you saw that a little bit with the PS4, Xbox One reveal. PS4 had a pretty good reveal. There was a lot of buzz, good momentum for it. Then at Microsoft failed to capture any momentum because, one, PS4 was being talked about a lot, and the Xbox One uh, had a bad reveal. Um, but if you let this momentum die down now, Sony and, and that's Sony I, has more to win. That's what I've future. said to people in the Discord, you know, when they ask me, is it's like, well, what is Sony going to do? And I'm like, ask me in four months. These consoles aren't coming out for the majority of a year still. We're not there anymore. Now we're much closer to their launch than February, right? Yeah. But that's what I used to say back then is it's like, no one may remember this time period if Microsoft doesn't keep the momentum going. And like, would you rather have five months from December 2019 of massive momentum or five months right before the consoles actually come out? Because at this point, we're getting to the point where if Sony, if Sony was lying quiet for the past two months because they realized they had been fucking up and they were marshalling their resources and you know firing people behind the scenes and moving people around to handle a good rollout, what if they do do a good blowout and then they just carry the momentum to October? Yeah, and I would say like, what what will you remember right now? The reveals for both so far i would say even microsoft which has generally been better they've both been pretty so far they've both not been very good though still (laughs) i mean well i think microsoft's has been until now i guess i don't know i think microsoft's role it's been almost perfect so i disagree with you pretty hard actually i i mean i i just think it's odd that both companies have been doing this weird like piecemeal reveal thing over time but well they 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 don't have all of their competition's information that's why yeah i mean and so my advice to sony is well i guess it's cool to shit on microsoft all of a sudden which is, is still just so hilarious to watch <laughs> so if you're going to do a blowout sony i know you have a horizon 2 demo i've i've talked to someone who's seen it show it now yeah. right now this is an exclusive this is not third party and supposedly well, what I've heard is that Gorilla wants to make this the best-looking game for the next few years. We'll see if that actually happens. If it is, show it now. And so yeah. I guess I'm almost giving the same advice to Sony. Now you have a chance. Show it now and sell your console for 400 I know you can afford to. Yeah, they both probably can. <laughs> I think they both can, right? I think Sony will be taking less of a loss, but not that much less. And I think the only thing I would say to them is I really think the performance of both consoles is really impressive. And the people that think there's some gulf between them, really in almost any regard, I mean, we'll have to see how the SSD pans out, but they're they're both powerful. So don't worry about that. It's going to be determined by games and your momentum at launch. Do it. Yeah. Do you want to win? What are these guys doing? I Because I they acted like know. they had everything together and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, you, well, do you think you have a better console? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think you do or you don't. I don't. Then you need to sell it for less. I do. Well, then why don't you just make this a complete victory and sell it for less? 
I don't know. I guess I really have no clue what either are trying to do at this point. I thought 400 was the price they were going for, but now it seems like it might be five. But maybe. Yeah, given- I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I guess the last piece of advice I would say is, hey, Sony, use 16 or 18 gigabit per second memory. Come on. I know that was the original spec sheet I saw. Go with that. Stop cutting costs. Microsoft, go back to 22 gigabytes. Both of them is the advice I would give. This console is going to last for five years. Go back to the original ambitions. Yeah, I would love to see both of them be better than they already are. <laughs> than I, mean, they yeah, are. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't need to get into that spiel again. You guys can yeah. listen to other episodes <laughs> for that. All right, then. So we moved the last reader mails and corrections to the end because we wanted to talk about Ampere first. All right. VI Pass writes in and he says, Tom and Dan, what do you think about the new RTX voice and all the new features NVIDIA is coming out with to help boost RTX lineup and use of the Tensor Cores? RTX voice, DLSS, AI upscaling video, NVEC encoder. The new Xbox is going to have increased visuals for older titles, such as HDR, due to a hardware benefit. Do you think NVIDIA might add similar features using AI and RTX Tensor Cores? It could possibly add HDR support to all content, even if it doesn't have the feature native in the game. Well, it wouldn't be as good as natively playing, you know, programmed AR, uh, HDR, so no. Yeah. Um, although I've seen some fantastical videos where people are like, oh, they'll make Final Fantasy VII look like Final Fantasy VII Remake with AI, you know... And, AI uh, magic? Yeah, I'll <laughs> believe it when I see it in a game, guys. I, I've seen the tech demos. I've seen the old PS1-looking graphics, and then they upgrade it to almost look like a modern game. I'm not saying that won't happen, but I will be so skeptical of it being able to do that in a game at 60 frames until I see it. So I do think this stuff is going to become more standard, though. And it's going to have to be, because after I know the Ampere specs and they're doubling Tensor Cores for SMs, well, they're going to do something with it. So even if Tensor Cores aren't that useful now, it's because they don't have enough. But I think they will, and they're going to use it for a lot more stuff. I think AMD is, too. I know they have some type of AI cores in there as well. Yeah. Okay. So we have a a few corrections here. Carbon Cry says, as for the not a lumen thing, the simple explanations for lumens versus nits, which is something we covered in previous podcast, um, is that lumens are useful for point lights, but bits are useful for planar light sources like flat screens. You briefly mentioned Huawei and bugs as well. And that Bloomberg article covering China putting uh, listening devices and bugs into motherboards was pure bullshit. Not only is it technically impossible and logistically impossible, and possibly Lambrithian scheme, it would also be very easy to detect based on how it is described in the article. Basically, it's pure fiction and or a crackpot conspiracy theory that somehow got attention because Bloomberg is incompetent and apparently cannot check their fats or isn't willing to do so if it gets them juicy coverage. Yeah, actually, I've heard that from a source in the server industry, which I told you, Dan. I just haven't had time to put a whole episode together about it. Yeah, and I, I, I also... is looked into it uh all three companies that they mentioned in that article have denied any validity to that article being true um well at first people said that well that's because they don't want you to stop buying their stuff uh Which is true I, I guess but i think the uh, the server company that it was essentially a takedown of a server company that super article, micro yeah they had to write a letter to the sec about how this article is false oh, um yeah. The, I think we talked about that article in an earlier, or we early, did. early episode. Yeah, we've talked about this a couple of times. And yeah, it would seem laughable that this existed, but... <laughs> yeah. 
Carmen Cry also says, P.S. Tom, you said you are tired of Dan's bullshit. Well, Tom, I'm tired of your bullshit. Hashtag Dan is okay. Hell yeah. Well, you know what, Carbon Cry? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right. Fatboy Diesel writes in and he says, I want to point out the Nintendo Switch comment regarding the use of an NVIDIA SOC and broken Silicon 46. Nintendo R&D began on the Switch before Zen launch. So keep in mind that the first Zen Vega APUs were launched with Ryzen 2000 series, and the only low-powered APUs from AMD available then were A-series APUs and budget laptops. So it seems like actually NVIDIA's Tegra selection was a little more of a safer bet than you may have realized, which I agree, that's a good point, Fatboy Diesel. And they're merging both handheld and home console markets into a hybrid market, that is the Switch market. Nintendo's historically taken conservative approaches with hardware specs whenever they designed a console. That may have been destructive. It failed. Thank GameCube to Wii. Yeah. Um, and uh, although, again, though, I know they had Cabini APUs, right? And I don't know why they didn't just use that. Like, why didn't they just use four Jaguar cores? Like, I, I looked at the Switch came out in 2017. So they could have just used something like Jaguar cores in, like, yeah, like a, you know, like a 16 nanometer Jaguar core quad core. And that yeah. would have been better. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, like he said, they were going with the conservative approach and they were more confident that Tegra would be lower power. So I assumed low power was pretty um, important. Maybe, maybe in portable mode. I don't know, though, if it actually would, honestly. I don't know. I, yeah. I stand by that it seemed odd to me they chose Tegra, but yeah, I don't think it was like the worst decision. I guess let me clarify my point. It, I mean, I don't think you can call it a bad decision because the Switch is... Well, it's certainly doing well. The Switch is selling very well, so... I do think they will go with some type of, like, half Zen 3 Plus APU for the next one, most likely, though. Yeah, maybe. And I know people are saying they should launch one now because it won't be able to run next-gen games. I don't know. I think they might want to wait for, like, a 12-compute-unit Zen 3 APU, even if it's just for, like, six cores, a custom one, because... I think you'll want to be able to keep up with the next-gen consoles. And I'm telling you, Renoir ain't going to keep up. No, yeah, I, I, I don't know when they I would... think a Zen 3 6-core could keep up a little bit. I, I don't know if they care about third parties at this point. It seems like Nintendo is pretty content to do... It's, I have think they own... some of them. I mean, look, yeah. they don't have all third-party games, damn. But if they didn't have Doom and The Witcher and Skyrim on Switch, you can't tell me. How many people have told me they bought one of those three games with their Switch? Every. Every person. If they had none of those, that's bad. Yeah, that's true. And so that's why I say I'm tired of your bullshit, Dan. <laughs> God damn it. Fuck you again, Carbon Cry. All right. Fuck you, blokes. And fuck you, everyone. No. <laughs> and then Tom just stormed out of the room. No, I'm kidding. But fuck you, Dan. Carmen Cry also writes in again, and he says, Hi, Tom. Now that you put on your big boy pants and had your video put in a WCCF tech article, he's talking about the Cezanne one, you can finally push for the change we need in tech. Why is plus used to denote an advanced node? It makes no sense. Smaller nodes are better. It shouldn't be 14 nanometer plus, 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 but 14 nanometer minus, 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 minus. I dare you to say all of them. Already won. Ha, I win. I said them all. And he says, of course, this is but a moderate's position to gradually node pill the semicon and sem yeah, semiconductor industry into the true nomenclature of the less than 14 nanometer era. But uh, 
Of course, the topic of Nodegate would be far before an entire series of full-length Broken Silicon episodes if you really wanted to start a career in Tethics activism. It's a solid Silicon Valley TV show reference at the end there. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I think, think he's advocating a really important point. It is a valid point. that We say 14 <laughs> nanometer plus, 12 nanometer plus, when it should probably be minus. He he is definitely not technically wrong. Although, but then shouldn't it be minus twelve nanometer? Shouldn't you also then put it in the front of it so that it's prob- subtracting? Probably because, because this if you, is an incorrect statement. Because if you're saying fourteen nanometer minus, it kind of just sounds like you're saying this is our bad fourteen nanometer. Now. Yeah, it should be minus fourteen nanometer because you're subtracting from. Well, well, no, I guess it would be twelve nanometer minus because it'd be twelve nanometer minus and then add a number after it. Yeah, so that's really what they should do is 14 nanometer minus than whatever tiny shrink they're doing. Well, this is one of the most pedantic conversations <laughs> I've ever had. Dan, we did it. We're through the script. It was a long one. Um, half of it was on Ampere as expected, but I thought it was it was pretty good. Yeah. Anything else to add? No. <laughs> I, I, the only other thing I'll say is remember, I'm just saying this, you've listened this long, you probably like Broken Silicon. Remember, it's a podcast. There's like fifteen to 30,000 of you who listen every episode on YouTube. Remember that when you want better, if you want better audio quality, if you want substantially less ads, because I can't control that, YouTube just adds them sometimes without me telling it to. If you want less ads, better audio quality, you can just subscribe to the podcast on any podcast app. And I'm not going to add graphics to the video because this is a podcast. That's highly edited to move quickly so you can listen to it while you're doing chores or driving or something. Just remember that. This is a podcast. And if you do, subscribe. Give us a review on the Apple Podcast Store or Stitcher if you can figure out Stitcher's weird, weird, uh, weird organization or whatever app you use, Google Play. Give us reviews. They really do help. Honestly, I'm, I'm really hoping for people to subscribe to the Broken Silicon Podcast RSS feed as much as possible now so that, you know, whether it's on Apple, Google Play, or Stitcher, just so... So we can start charting there because I'm telling you guys, we're getting noticed in YouTube quite a bit right now. But if we just doubled the amount of people that actually hit subscribe and download, like we would start charting in like the top 100 tech podcasts probably. And that would bring in a lot of new viewers if we were trending in the RSS feed as well. Just an FYI. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) And remember, this is fan supported on Patreon. That is where 80% of the support comes from to pay Dan to pay Gerard, who edits the podcast, and uh, soon to hopefully pay other people who are going to start helping run the website. We're almost at a 384-bit goal. After that, there will be an HBM stretch goal, and maybe one after that. But after that, I don't even know. I think after that, we just made it. We're big boys. So remember to support us there. You get completely ad-free early access to Broken Silicon every week, Die Shrinks every other week. Ad-free early access to flyover states in the back catalog and hits and gems every now and then at the unlocked fourth tier, which is the most uh, popular tier. And that's also how you support Reader Mail. I guess I should have said it before now. Any other things to add, Dan? What do you want to tell the people of the world? <laughs> you did ask me that, but uh, have, have a good day. Um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, and that's it. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom.
That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon Die Shrink and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Alquari, Frederick Lau, James Crasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Richter Gohagen, Elethros, Telos, Caden Pictel, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, XOT, Wani Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Edward Huff, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Jonathan, Drita Full, Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Dewar, Carol P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam McArthur, Total Silo, TSPCFS, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, and HardForum.com. Excited about that last one. And thank you for, to Sahara for the music. <laughs>